Hey, uh, we're going to go ahead and get started. If everybody's got their their refills and their food and everything. They need. Um, let me pray for us. And then I'm only going to spend uh, 15 minutes or so talking about a few things. And then I got a couple handouts that we're going to go over for just a minute and then we'll be dismissed. But thank you for coming after the service and having lunch with us. And that we get to spend time together, but also praying to the end of the way God would use our groups and what we're doing this year. But let's pray for that first and then we'll jump in. God, we thank you for this time together. We pray that as we think about how uh, to love one another well, kind of invite people into the fold of, of who you are and what you're doing and. Uh, embody that by caring for one another and for those that don't yet know you. We pray that you would lead and guide us in all truth. We pray that we would be faithful to what you call us to as, as disciples, as your followers. And so we want to be doing the things that you tell us to be doing. Uh, we want to be encouraging one another. I pray that you would just help us uh, to be excited about going out and proclaiming your name in every opportunity that we have. And we pray all of this would be uh, for your honor and your glory. Uh, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. A uh, couple things, just big picture is kind of a an overview as we get started. Um, one being we say this all the time, but I'm going to read this from Matthew chapter 28, what we call the Great Commission. So Matthew chapter 28, uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 16. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so we often refer to that as the Great Commission. This is Jesus's parting words before the ascension. Uh, Just preached on this at the beginning of the year when we were going through our uh, church covenant and the importance of discipleship. And so we say this all the time here. Uh, Our mission is. As a church, as followers of Jesus, is to make disciples that make disciples. Um, It's on the wall out there. We try to say it frequently. Uh, I often say that kind of jokingly, but serious in the sense of we're very simple. (laughs) We want to make disciples that make disciples. That's it. And so that is our mission uh, of what we're about as a church. And I think what we're called to be about as believers. And so as I start there, I just want to ask the question. And it's okay for you to ask this question and say, does anyone disagree with that? Do you have questions about that? This idea that we're called to make disciples that make disciples and what that looks like. Now, there's a lot that goes into that and comes under that heading. But the way we summarize that, that's what we want to be about. And so we want to start there. Anyone, any questions or disagreement or thought about that? It's okay if you don't. Okay. Second thing, when we think about what does it mean to make disciples that make disciples? When we're called into discipleship, Jesus says... Go, therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I'm with you to the end of the age. Right. So I'm with you in doing this. I'm going to be the one that empowers you to do this. Uh, In John's gospel in chapter 20, he says uh, he breathes on them and gives them the spirit. He says the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. It's in his power that we're going to do this. But when we talk about what it means to be a disciple, Jesus defines it right there. We're going to make disciples and as we make disciples, we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. So we're helping disciple people to faith, people that don't yet know Jesus. We're sharing the truth of who he is. As God softens their heart and they come to faith, we baptize them, they come into the church and then we begin to make disciples 
as they grow. So discipleship is discipling uh, from unbelief to belief, which is God's work, what we've been talking about in Romans nine. But then from belief to maturity, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And so when we start to think about that, we're seeking to be, as we say here frequently, obedient to Jesus in every area of our life under the power and direction of the Holy Spirit. That's the definition we use for discipleship. Now, there's a whole lot of things that come under that, but that's the banner over everything we're talking about. So, again, does anyone have any objection or question about that when we just say that's what we mean about discipleship? We're helping disciple people to faith and then from faith to maturity, power of the Holy Spirit working. That would happen. Any questions on that? I think most everybody that's in here that's come to this today, we've talked about this a lot. We've gone through this a lot. So this shouldn't be new information, but I want to make sure if you have questions, concerns about that, that we're all clear on that. Anybody? Anything on that in particular or any clarification? That's okay too. Okay. so first two, then third thing I want us to think about when we talk about helping them to obey all that he commanded, what he calls us to. We're not going to read it now for the sake of time, but you can read it today if you want to. Men's Breakfast, we talked about this yesterday. A lot of our cohorts have gone through this. We've started with this. It's John 15 when Jesus says, you abide in me and my word in you and you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so all of this that we're talking about discipleship and what we're trying to do, we cannot do it if we are not abiding in Jesus. Not abiding in his word. Every all of it will fail. If we're not clinging to him in everything, seeking to do it by the power of the spirit. And so, again, that's review. That's nothing I don't think new that you haven't heard. But when you read John 15, it's important that we think about that, that Jesus says, you abide in me and my word in you and you will bear much fruit. He says, you keep my commandments. That's what it looks like to love me. He says, when you do so, I think it's in verse 11, you will have this great joy. And so he's calling us to something of abiding in him. And following him and obeying the things he's called us to. And he says, you'll have a great joy in doing so. All that's just kind of foundational, but I wanted to make sure we say it and we talk about it for just a second here as we begin. So the next thing that I want us to think about then is if that is the case, if we are about discipleship, discipleship's about being obedient to Jesus in every area, abiding in him, seeking to grow up into the fullness of what he's called us to be. As his children welcome into his family, helping others to do that. Shouldn't we be making disciples or seeking to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples? Does anyone have an objection to that? That if we're wanting to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life, we would look to Jesus, the perfect disciple maker. Who came and called to himself people that were his disciples and he walked with them and showed them what that looks like. And then he says, now go make disciples, right? That's the people he was talking to there in Matthew 28, the people that had been his disciples. And then he sends them out to do the same. That said, I want us just to think about how Jesus makes disciples for just a minute this morning, just afternoon, just for a couple minutes. I want to look at a couple snapshots to, to this end. I'm going to give you a big picture that's not complete of everything, obviously, just in a couple minutes here. But when we think about discipleship. My experience, I say this all the time within the church, was always like discipleship was like believers with believers doing Bible study. Now, that may not be your background. That may not be what you thought of. But that's what I always thought of as a kid. Whenever somebody said discipleship, that was like you go in a classroom and you sit down and you do some stuff together and you learn some knowledge and then everybody goes home. That's just what I always thought. Now, John 15, you abide in me and my word in you. 
You keep my commandments. You follow these things. It's imperative that we spend time in God's word. I am in no way against Bible study. We should be dwelling richly in God's word always, all of us, if we're seeking to do any of this, because apart from him, we can do nothing. And so I'm not saying that. But what I want to think about is when we think about the way Jesus is making disciples and how he's going and what's happening is he calls people. Well, let's just start here. What does Jesus say when he calls his disciples? Yes, follow me. You come on, come follow me. Says that over and over. Right. You're fishermen. Come on, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Right. He says this over and over. Come follow me. Rich young ruler comes up. I'm following everything. I'm doing all I can. I'm keeping all the commandments. He says, great. Sell your stuff and come follow me. That's always his call. He's saying, come with me and we're going to go make disciples. And this is what it looks like. Yeah. So he's always saying that. And so what I want to think about is when we look at the Gospels, uh, I did this this week because thankfully Andy, Andy was preaching. And so I got a little bit more time to work on this. But I went through the whole of the harmony of Gospels. Have you ever used harmony of Gospels? It takes all four Gospels and puts them in parallel passages and it's chronological. I had a class in seminary that used it and it was so great because it helped pull so many things together for me that I hadn't quite seen. And so I go back to that all the time. But I took that this week and was going through chronologically when Jesus starts to call people to follow him. Where do they go? What's he doing? Well, some of it is preaching and teaching, right? Sermon on the Mount. They all come out and sit down and he preaches and they listen. Uh, Some of it's going into the synagogue and preaching and teaching and different things. But overwhelmingly, when you start looking at it, it's as they're going. Everywhere he goes, he's like, come with me. Right. So. Quiz. That's the, you'll, you'll know this. A lot of you know. What's Jesus's first miracle? Right. Wedding at Canaan. John two. It's one of the first places we see him going anywhere with his disciples. Happens very early chronologically. Right. So uh, John chapter two. Wedding at Cana. Um, do you know what happens there? Right. You know the story. I'll I'll read just briefly to you, just a few verses, but it says uh, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there and Jesus was invited to the wedding with his disciples. Uh, Wedding, by the way, at this time, three or four day affair, great big, huge thing that goes on and on and on. It's not like you drop in for an hour. Hey, we'll we'll go by the wedding. Go by the wedding means you're going to be there for days. And so Jesus goes and he's there in the middle of this with his disciples. Uh, When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stone jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the waters, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them. Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. And so they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water, now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said, everyone serves the good wine first. When the people have drunk freely, then the poor wine But you have kept the good wine until now. This was the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. And so I just want to we're not going to go through these passages in great detail, but just a couple of things. One of the first things that Jesus does is he takes his disciples and come with me and they go to a great big party. They go to this wedding with all these people and they're there together. 
and he's spending time with them. And that's what he does. And now, now part of that's culturally. You went with your disciples and they followed you and kind of followed you around everywhere you went. But he takes them there. And the first miracle that Jesus does is turning water into wine. But if you, you read carefully in John 2, it says that they took uh, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of purification. Right. So for ritual washing, clean and unclean laws and the way that you would wash and you'd come in and certain things you would do and you'd go through. And Jesus takes those jars that are the dividing line between what is clean and unclean. And he says, fill them up with water. And then he turns them into wine. And I always come back to this passage that here, Jesus, the first miracle, the first place he takes his disciples is he takes them to this big party with all these people there. And he takes the thing that was like the clean and unclean, this kind of dividing line, these jars for purifal, pure purification, this ritual purification. And he says, I want you to fill those up. And he turns that into this wine of hospitality to care for these people, to and there's a whole bunch of things we could say here. The, the bridegroom is not prepared and doesn't have enough. And Jesus kind of saves him in this and all this. But just this idea that he's kind of tearing down these walls of the clean and unclean. And I am now here. And this is how you become clean. And Jesus steps into the middle of that. And as he as he does this miracle, that he takes it and he's partly at least, I think, in part in this passage is showing us this this way that we like to divide out. This is the times with God. These are the things where we go and do God things. And these are the things where it's the rest of my life. And he brings those things together and he tears that apart. And he's like, it's all time with God. Right. I'm going to take the purification and I'm going to make it the the wine that's for uh, hospitality. And I'm going to show you this. And so years ago, I heard a a, a friend speaking, a pastor from a long time ago, and it stuck with me. And he was a, he was a professor and he used to say, um, people always come to me in seminary and they'll say, oh, I'm going to take some time off and just get away and spend time with God. And he said, I always get so frustrated at him. And he said, I want to shake him and tell him it's all time with God. All of it. There's no time that's not with God. In everything we do and in everywhere we go and all that we're about. And so sometimes we come into this building, into this place, which purposely we say is not the church. You are the church. This is the place we come together as the church. Right. Because if we say this is the church, then you leave the church. If you're the church, it goes with you. Right. The very spirit of God is in you. You are the church and it goes with you. It's all time with God. And if we get into that thinking that I have an hour on Sunday or we're super committed, so we stayed after today, a couple hours, time with God, and then the rest of it's not. It gets into this division that Jesus doesn't see. And so I want us just to start there thinking about as Jesus goes and as he's making disciples, it's all time with God. It's all part of what he's doing. It's all making disciples in everything and in every place he goes. Um, Mark chapter 2. Jesus calls... Matthew, it's actually in, it's in Matthew, I think, 11 too. it's in Luke also, maybe chapter nine, but it's a, I'm going to read from Mark chapter two. So we know Matthew tax collector works for Rome. They're collecting taxes. One of the hated people. He's working for the, the enemy that's taken over. And not only that, he's taking your money to give it to them. And so Matthew, who also is known as Levi, tells us Mark chapter two, he went out again by the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. 
There it is again. Follow me. And he rose and he followed him. And the very next thing it tells us in verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house with many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples for there. There were many who had followed him. So we're pretty sure it's in Matthew's house just from context and the way it's talking. And so they go to Matthew's house. He's invited all his friends, tax collectors, sinners. They're all reclining with Jesus. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he had eaten with sinners and tax collectors, said to the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so he calls Matthew and he says, come follow me. And then he says, oh, we're going to have a party at your house and you're going to invite all your friends. And we're going to spend time with them and we're going to stay there together. And they begin to do this as they're living out their lives as they go. And you see this over and over. And so I was so struck as I was just reading through the harmony of Gospels. And what I was doing is just thinking about what is the environment in which this is happening? And overwhelmingly, it's Jesus with crowds and people. And you get to the point where you read through the Gospels and it's at one point they're they're saying he's a glutton. And he's a drunkard. Because of the people he spends time with. And he's a friend of sinners. And why is he with those people? And why is he over there? And you just see it over and over and over and over again. This is the way Jesus is making disciples. And so I'm starting here and I'm saying that in this way of thinking about if we're talking about being on mission to make disciples. And we want to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. We're saying that's our mission as a church. To make disciples that make disciples, we're going to be going to where people are and inviting them in as we go. We can't make disciples like Jesus made disciples if we just come here and sit together and feel real comfortable with other believers and then go back to our regular life and kind of leave everything else the same. It's all time with God. And he's called us into this to invite people in. It's not just believers with other believers. It's us inviting people that are asking questions, that are seeking your friends, your family, your neighbors, inviting them in and then walking along with them. And so I I say that in this, it's not that there's anything wrong with being in a Bible study with other believers. We should be in a Bible study with other believers. We are called to spend time in God's word and we are called to continue to encourage and exhort one another and speak the truth to each other. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us gathering together as this group right here and praying together and encouraging and and the things that we need to talk about or us doing an in-depth Bible study where we spend weeks and weeks and weeks digging into God's word. We should be doing all those things. I'm not saying any of those are wrong, but if we're going to make disciples the way Jesus makes disciples, it's also going to include the as we're going and the inviting people into that. And there needs to be a balance. And so that's why we say it's, it's on the wall out there. I think everything that we say and try to say repeatedly and particularly the things that we care enough about to put on the wall are things that we've thought about a lot. And so we say up in and out. We want to be growing in a relationship with the Lord in with one another, other believers, and then the out being. And we want to be growing in relationships with those that don't yet know Jesus, that we can share the good news of who he is. And to be a fully formed disciple, it's all three. Now, all of that to say is probably nothing new. I don't don't think I don't think I've said anything that you're like, oh, I've never heard that before. Hopefully, if you've been around here for a while, you're like, well, yeah, you say this a lot. And I think it's because of what Jesus calls us to. It's what he's telling us to do. It's what he's showing us. 
And so I want to read one more thing, and then we'll talk about just kind of what we're doing this year. And I'll give out these, this handout I'm going to give to you in just a second. But John chapter 4, you know the story of Jesus and the woman at the well? We often refer to the woman at the well. He's going through Samaria. He meets this lady at the well. They start having this conversation. Disciples have gone off. He's there talking to her. He's sharing with her. He knows her thoughts. He knows what's going on. He knows her background. He knows all of it. She's kind of freaking out by this. I kind of go back and forth. He's telling her, you know, you're looking for it and all these other things. You're looking for meaning and purpose in relationships. But I am the one that will bring you ultimate meaning and purpose. He says, I can give you water that will spring up inside of you. And so he's revealing to her who he is. And he tells her. He tells her that he is the Messiah and he is the one. And she's like, oh, wow. She goes running into the town to tell everybody. And around that time, the disciples come back. They have gone in to get food. They come back and here's Jesus. And so it says, John chapter four, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. And the meanwhile, as she's just gone into the town to tell everybody and people are starting to come out to him where he is again. Crowds are coming. People that don't yet know who Jesus is are coming. They're asking questions. And the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have a food to eat that you do not know about. And so the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to the to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. Do you not yet say that there are four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. And I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I had a professor who used to say and he was great at like kind of setting the scene culturally and what was happening in background. And here he is sitting on the edge of this town sticker in the middle of Samaria. The Jews enemy, which that's why they were shocked that he was talking to this woman, these people that you normally didn't talk to. And he's sitting there telling the disciples, I have food that you know nothing about. And if you read in context here, what he's saying is his food is evangelism. To said to spread the good news, to do what my father has sent me to do. That's my food. That's what's keeping me going is what Jesus is telling them. Of course, they miss that at first. They go, did you give him something to eat? Where do you get food? And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I'm saying. But then he says, look, I tell you, lift your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. And my professor used to say, I can't help but wonder if he wasn't looking back into the town of Sicker and seeing the people there and going, the harvest is ripe. These people need to know the truth. And so when I think about missional community groups and what we want to do. We live in a place that's growing like crazy, right? I mean, you see it every day. You sit in the traffic now that used to not exist in Dawsonville. We leave here growing like crazy. Coming off a year when everyone's been holed up in their houses, alone, struggling. And they're all starting to come out. And literally, they're building neighborhoods all around us. And I read that. And I hear Jesus saying that, they go, yes, it is right for a harvest all around us. We cannot be faithful to Jesus and be just about us. 
It doesn't work that way. Jesus has called us into his family. And then he says, go make disciples. And I want you to think about everything we've been talking about, even Romans 9. He's talking about God's sovereignty and he's in control and he's all these things. I hear that and go, so what do we have to be afraid of? Nothing. He's perfectly in control of all of it. And he's calling people to himself and he's put them right in front of you. And so it's our job to just be faithful right where he's placed us and invite people in because he's going to do all the work. And we get to be part of it. And so I say all that to say this. We have. I'm so thankful for all of you. I'm thankful that this is our family of faith, that we get to spend time together. We get to worship together. We get to do prayer breakfast. We get to have Bible studies. We get to do different things. But I want nothing more for us to be on mission together. I want to be overwhelmed with what God's doing and to be so clear that it's not our power. In first Corinthians two, Paul talks about how he comes and he says, I was I was with you in much fear and trembling and not implausible works of wisdom. He says it wasn't me. Right. What we get is Paul wasn't a great speaker and he wasn't somebody that you looked at and were wowed about how great he was or how funny he was. But he says, I came in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. And so when I think about missional communities, I want us to see that we're inviting people in. We're asking God who those people are. And then we're being obedient to who he puts right in front of us. And we see this harvest that we can't take credit for. You're going to look at it and go, how did that happen? And the only answer is going to be because God's doing a work. And we're just holding on. Okay, wherever you say, that's where we're going. And I can look back at different times in my life. And the more that I'm doing that, the more that I'm asking him and then I see it and I'm listening and being obedient. It's, I'm overwhelmed with what he's doing. And the times when it's weaker and I don't I feel like I'm struggling it's because I'm just not listening. And so I want us to think about groups as being hubs that are together. And yes, we're going to spend time in God's word and we're going to pray together. We're going to share our lives and we're going to encourage one another. But I want us to always have an eye towards who are we inviting in? How are we going? Where are we going? Who are the people that God's put in front of us? What does that look like? How are we going to do that? In this room, I look around and there's a bunch of different gifts here. And that's why God tells us to go on mission together. None of us has all the gifts to do this. Some of you, you think about inviting people in and it scares you to death because of your personality. You're like, I'm going to do what? And some people are like, I got 15 people in mind right now. And that's why we go on mission together, because none of us has all the gifts to do all of it ourselves. And so I'm going to hand out this, these uh, two pages. If you'll, you know, my, there's two each. See how they're. Oh, let me just. Hold As I'm giving these out, I'll just tell you this is a. One is a list of resources. 
on our website. It just got, uh, it's been up for a couple weeks, but added a bunch of stuff this week. This two pages. But if you look at this, the one page is a list of resources, the one that's front and back. We've been meeting uh, this year in cohorts, spending time with guys that we're identifying as leaders, going over a bunch of things. Almost everything that we've gone over or a whole lot of it is on those resources now. It's there. And so if you go on our website at the very top, it says discipleship on one of the tabs. You click on that under that says uh, MCG resources. And you open it and it's basically a Dropbox, but it's it's on there. It's actually on our website. You can open and look at any of that stuff. And so it's just a list of resources. I think there's like 35 things in it. And some of it's philosophy of ministry. Some of it is Bible study. Some of it's definitions of different things. But they're all things that if we're seeking to make disciples that make disciples that are reproducible, you can take, for example, the first ones. There's one that's like, what is a missional community group? What is our goal and what are we trying to do? You open it. It's like a two page document that you can read through. You can go through with your group as you're meeting together and have discussion. Talk about that and go, Okay, are we all clear on what we're trying to do? The same thing with what is a DNA group? Uh, There's one on gospel identities that were family missionary servants that were sent together to do these things. Uh, You read through the one that's on gospel identity actually has a Bible study that's four weeks you can do together. As you work through those things together. But all of this is to give you resources just to help you. Some of this you may not ever use or touch, but know it's there if you need it. Oftentimes we give out these things and then somebody says, hey, I don't have the 4G cards that we use for gospel fluency. Well, they're on there. And so you can go on there and scroll through. Oh, here they are. I can get them myself and share them and you share them, use them however you want. There's also uh there's a few books we've stuck on there that we had been given as a church. Um, the devotional we used this past uh, Christmas for Advent, John Piper's devotional, is a free resource that he gives out. Well, we added it on there, so if you want it, you can go get it there that we use. There's a, The Mingling of Souls by Matt Chandler, who is the president of Acts 29. It's a book on marriage. And so Acts 29 gave us as a church that book for free, so we put it on there. So if you want to use that, you're welcome to use that. And so that's just a big list of resources. But let's talk about missional communities for just a second and the goal for this year. Um, One thing that we want to see happen immediately is instead of trying to come up with missional community groups that are four or five or six families and we try to make all of it. We want us to commit to at least one other family, two families. It might be three. I think in some cases it might be four. That's fine. But just two to start with. Part of the reasoning, follow just the way we're thinking about this. One is COVID. Some people are like, yeah, I'll come if it's one other family. But if it's a bunch of people in a house right now, I'm not cool with that. That seems to be getting less, but there's still people that kind of feel that. And so we want to be sensitive to that. Secondly, as more people are coming back and we've seen it the last three weeks here. People that haven't been here in a long time have showed up the last few weeks. And then we've seen we've had some uh, new people coming, 
People are starting to go, OK, I think I'm going to get back in. And so we have an opportunity as people come back in to help plug them into groups or as new people come into our church. And so the thinking is if you've started this, you're covenanting with one other family, one, it's going to be easier to meet together just schedule wise. Right. If there's two of you, your day and time might switch week to week or your schedules may change, but it's a little easier because it's smaller. That's one thing. But then it also gives you the opportunity to be able to invite people into that as new people come in and we go, yeah, we've got this group here and this group here and this group here. And it's just a couple right now, but you can come into that and be part of that. And so that's part of why we're thinking start smaller like that, a little different than the way we've done it in the past. But as we do it, when we talk about missional community groups and then we often talk about DNA being guys with guys and ladies with ladies. That's just the language we use. DNA is a little different than a missional community. But usually a DNA is like, let's say there's three families meeting together on one of those weeks. The guys go together and the ladies go together. It's a time of accountability, Bible study together, confession, things that we might not say in mixed company as a whole group, but that you would share with a smaller group. And so our missional communities and our DNA. And so this is the ask as we think about this. We want to gather with two to three families to start it. We're going to meet a minimum of two times a month. And when I say minimum, if you want to meet every week, great. Do that, please. But I'm saying minimum in the fact of like we, we need to have a minimum commitment for this to go. If we meet once a month or we take a whole month off or we're real sketchy all the time on how we're doing it, and it's not a priority. This will never be a thing that we can invite people into. We're not going to grow a whole lot together either if that's the way it's happening. And so a minimum of twice a month, you're going to meet together as your whole group. So that might be two couples to begin with or three couples. Either share a meal, spend time together. There's some things on there. You're going to spend time uh, checking in how one another are doing, praying for one another, learning together. It might be working through some of these resources in here, might be doing a Bible study together. But you're spending time together. And this is what I want you to see, though. As you gather as that group, you're loving one another well. You're caring for each other, but you're also praying for who God is sending you to. And I want you to think of it like this. I want all of us to commit to when we're together, we're spending time doing what we call frontline prayer. If you've ever heard that before. Frontline prayers, we're praying that God would save people. We're praying that God would show us who he's sending us to. We would pray that we would see the glory of God more fully in our lives every day. And so what I mean by that is. Yes, we will pray for one another's needs. And that's not less than I'm not saying that's categories, but we want to have a a focused uh, area and time of prayer where we're praying that God would do big things. That he would open our eyes to see what he's calling us to and what that looks like. And we're going to commit together to be praying when we're together. And so think of it like this. Your missional community, when you have that meeting, is kind of a, a family meeting. It is for believers. We're coming together. We're praying. We're reading. We're studying together. But then we're planning on how we're going on mission. That's always a part. And so we talk about people of peace. If you don't know what that is, there's a thing that explains that in those resources. People of peace are the people that God's placed in your life that are already leaning in for relationship. We want to be praying for our people of peace by name. We want to be talking and praying together about what are the next steps for those people and how we're going to do it. How are we going to invite them in? What are we going to do as a group? And so that's at least twice a month. Any question on that? It's not real different than what we've been doing. But I do want to say that we have a focused uh, 
eye towards mission as we're gathering together, that we're praying for that. We're talking about that. We're praying for people by name. We're encouraging one another on what's the next steps that God's revealing to us and what we're going to do and how we're going to be obedient, sharing that with one another. Any questions on that? The thing right below that is just saying your DNA, guys with guys, ladies with ladies, that at least twice a month. So uh, this I'm always hesitant to say this. I say things like you could do it like this. And then somebody will always come tell me, well, we can't do it like that. Okay, this is an example. It does not have to look like this. It can look totally different than this. But you might say uh, in in my house, we've been meeting for years, usually on Sundays, late afternoon, just because with kids and different schedules, that works. Doesn't have to be Sunday. If you can't meet on Sunday, don't come tell me you can't meet on Sunday. Meet on the day that works. But maybe you meet every Sunday and one week is the group together going through these things we're talking about, praying together. And then the next week, the guys go downstairs and the ladies go wherever you split up and you do that every other week and you just meet at the same time. Or maybe you meet every week as a group and you share a meal and you spend time together. And then the guys meet on a Tuesday and the ladies meet on a Wednesday or whatever it works for you. And maybe it's more than twice on both of those things. What I'm saying, though, is a minimum commitment of time that we're putting together, that we're actually growing and we can invite people into that. And so that's why I'm saying a minimum of two of each of those might look totally different than that. I would love it if you meet every week. Love it if you meet every week and then you go do stuff together during the week and then the guys meet at different times in the late. Awesome. Great. Do what works in your schedules. We're not going to dictate exactly how that has to look because it's going to be different for everybody. But the minimum ask there is that we're spending those times together. And so a DNA group will be praying. We'll be reading scripture. We'll be confession. Guys with guys, ladies with ladies, areas we're struggling. All of this speaking the truth of the gospel to one another and our gospel fluency, practicing that together. That happens in both of those groups. And in both of those, you might decide in your DNA group, we're going to do a Bible study for a year on You know, one book of the Bible. Great. We have lots of good resources we're happy to help you with for you to do that. Want you to do that. Um, You might decide together we're going to do Gospel of John with an eye towards helping grow in our understanding that we could share it with an unbeliever. We've done that a couple times here. We'll do it again soon where we go through the Gospel of John to help you read through with somebody that's not yet a believer. There's actually resources for the Gospel of John evangelism on that page on how to do it. And in that, there's there's even a connection to my brother's done videos of that training on it. And so you can find that in there as well. That might be something you do with your DNA group for the purpose of mission. Does that make sense? And then the last thing it says on there is as we do this and as we go, And as God brings people into it and it goes from, let's say, two families to three to four to five. And now you've got six. We want you to be thinking about how does that group then multiply? If our goal is disciples who make disciples, who being on mission together, inviting people in, we can't just grow a nice group. And we're all comfortable and it's great and we're rocking along and we're like, we'll just sit here for years. I will tell you that is our natural tendency, all of us. That's our natural tendency because we're with people we like and we know them and we've grown together and this is great and we'll just stay right here. 
but we want to always have an eye towards mission. And so when we get to that point, we need to start thinking about, okay, how does this group of six now becomes two groups of three that we can then start to invite people into again? And I want you just to know that. That is our philosophy because we want to keep mission at central central in all of it. And so I want us to know that going in, that there's going to be times where we go, okay, well, we now need to divide up and invite people in. Any questions on any of that? A lot of this is not really new, but it's a little different in the way we've talked about some of it. All right. So this is the last thing and then we'll 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 be done. Um, we're asking you guys here. Some of you have just started groups recently. Some of you are already in one. That's great. Uh, but what we'd like to see is everybody here looking to grab another couple and start to do this. And so if you need help with who to get connected to, let us know, please. We have some ideas. Some of it's geographic. Some of it's people you already know and you already have relationships with. And we're going, hey, that would be good. We don't have it planned out of who has to be with who. We're not going to make we're not going to do it that way. But if you need help with that, we want to help you in that. I would love for us to see everybody here is connected to a group with at least one other couple by Easter. It's a month. I know that's pretty quick. But just that we're identifying and it might be as simple as like, hey, let's get together and have dinner and talk about this. I would. Yes. Yeah, so if it may be, maybe I know. Yeah. And it may be it may be staying the same to some degree. Um, if it's gotten to where it's a really big one, we now have a lot of people involved. It might be OK, we're going to do this into two. Yeah, but I mean, we'll ha- we're happy to help you with it and talk about that and who's in it. And maybe it's I-, I think of it, too. Sometimes we've had groups and this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing where it's some people from the church. A couple, maybe one other couple, and then a bunch of people that don't go to church here. That's great. That's fine. But I'd like to see our groups being you're you're connected with one other couple that's in our church family that understands what we're trying to do and how we're trying to do it. And we're working together towards that. And then we can invite other people into that. Great. But that way, what we'd like to be able to say beginning of April, right around Easter is I have a feeling we always have the biggest crowd at Easter. Always. People show up that I didn't even know still lived in Dawsonville. <laughs> but people will come and there'll be people here. And I want to be able to say to people, we have all these groups that are now meeting. And here's a great opportunity as people kind of step back into things. We want to get you plugged in. And so what Luke and I want to do with all of you is just follow up with you in the next month. We're going to try to do a thing like this every two to three months. Where it's just checking in. How's it going? What do you need? What help do you need? But I want you to know that Luke and I in particular and Andy's going to be helping us as well or a resource just to help you think through how to do all this and help you use these resources that we're giving. It's not like, here you go. And here's the idea. See you later. We want it to be where we're meeting with you every month, thinking about your plan. What are we doing? How are we doing it? Who are we inviting in? What's the goals? That also just so we can be praying with you about that. As you're going. Any questions on any of that? And so really the next couple months, next two months, let's say. 
Identify who that is you're with. Begin to meet. And then the third thing I would say is begin to pray who you're on mission to. Who are your people of peace? Who has God placed right in front of you that we're praying for? And then we're going to start to out of that, what comes flows out of that. And and this will be the very last thing I'll say is just as you do that, we want you to be doing something that is mission minded once a month. And that that could be as simple as this. Let's say it's two couples, three couples. Let's say you have four couples in your group. Two couples might go over here and two couples go over here and you're going to invite somebody to come over and have dinner with you. Somebody you've been praying about and asking God, what would this look like? That might be it might be you decide as your group, you're going to come and volunteer and help with the Easter egg hunt. You're going to be here anyway. And I'm going to invite my neighbor. I'm going to invite two of my neighbors and I'm going to come and do that. And we're going to be there together. That'd be a great way to do that together where we're always doing something that's outwardly focused on mission together. Does that make sense? Now, all of this end here. Uh, we're going to fail a lot. There might be weeks where it's like you do three or four. One month where you do three things and we invite this person in and it's great and we're killing it. And we're so excited. And then the next week we didn't do any or the next month we didn't do anything. And we're like, oh, what happened? And we're kind of get. Thankfully, you're not saved by being a perfect missional community group. If you were, then we'd all be doomed. <laughs> Thankfully, it's all Jesus and what he's done. And we're going to continue to remind each other that as we go. In every one of these things, there's going to be times when it's great. We're like, we're killing it. And there's going to be times when it's like, man, we are a mess. And so we need to be reminding one another that we don't prove ourselves by what we're doing, that we're, we're loved completely and fully by Jesus already. And we're going to rest in that. Any questions? Clarification, objections. I always think if it was really quiet, it's either really clear or no one has a clue what I'm talking about. One or the other. All right. Let me uh, pray for us. If you have questions outside of this, come talk to us. Uh, Let's continue to move forward on that. But Luke and I are going to be talking to all of you just about who we connecting up with, how we doing that. All right. Well, thank you for staying after. I appreciate it. I know it makes for a long day. Thank you, Andy. You're still awake. I'm impressed. If I preached twice and I was sitting over there, I'd probably be asleep by now personally. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let me pray for us. God, we thank you uh, for your grace and your mercy towards us. We thank you that you love us, that you've called us into your family. We thank you that you see uh, fit to use us in what you're doing. Uh, That you don't need us in any of this, but you allow us to be part. And you tell us that our greatest joy will be found uh, in seeking you and loving others in that way. And so I pray that you would help us to follow you wherever that would be. And so I pray that we'd be obedient to the things you're putting in front of us. I pray that as we think about how to do those these things and uh, as we continue to learn and grow together, that you would just keep us uh, incredibly humble, that you would keep us. Uh, in the middle of just loving and caring for people around us. And we pray all of it would be for your honor and your glory. Uh, We thank you. We pray all of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. Yeah, where'd Sherry go? Make sure you thank Sherry. She's...